0: Welcome again to the strange brew podcast my name's jason barnard and that was a little bit of the opening of the new the lexicon of love live album by abc which we'll be exploring with today's guest martin fry of abc and we'll be talking about that fantastic concert and album and key highlights from his musical journey so let's hear my chat with martin hello hello martin hi Hello, Jason. It is, yeah. Can you see me and hear me? That is the most important thing. Yes. I've just been listening to the new Lexicon of Love live album. Fantastically recorded, brilliant orchestration. And of course, that added element of being in Sheffield, which must be extra special. What are your memories of that particular night last year?
1: Oh, yeah, vivid memories. Because obviously we've been prepping the album. Somebody said to me it's 40 years since uh, the release of the Lexicon of Love. It would be great to kind of play on the day, 40 years later, on the anniversary of that day in Sheffield, because we were putting together our orchestral tour and the band. And... So, yeah, it, it was phenomenal. It was a great night, and it was a great way. I've not really, through the years, haven't really put out many, uh, many live albums, so I wanted to make sure I finally got it right. And it was a magical night, yeah, it meant a lot, because obviously all of that music, it, ABC started in Sheffield those Those songs come from um, all the conversations and all the strolling down West Street and kind of bigging the band up and Poison Arrow, Look of Love, All of My Heart. All of those songs come from the Beehive and the Raven and um, The Limit, I suppose, at the time. Well, just The Limit. Yeah, Nights Out on a Monday Night. So Sheffield's kind of infused into the record. So yeah, it felt right. It was the right time and the right place to be performing that. It would have been weird uh, recording it. in. I'm in Florida today. I'm working. I've got a gig. Thursday night at the window. Oh, lovely. There's the Universal Amusement Park. Ah, yeah. And I can see Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory and uh, Bubba Shrimp and all that stuff. But ABC Live at the Hollywood Bowl then. But no, it felt right to be live at Sheffield City Hall. Yeah. So it was a great night, yeah, and remember it Remember it well. Yeah, we'll remember it well forever, yeah. Right. So the pressure was on, on in Sheffield City Hall. It had to be right, so that kind of added to the excitement of the night with the Southbank Symphonia, with Anne Dudley, with the band. I mean, with an orchestra show, yeah, you, you've got to take it to the next degree, yeah, because it can be very... All the parts are there. It can be very studded and uh, awkward. We like to crank it up a bit.
0: The actual recording of The Mexican of Love 40 years ago wanted to ask you about your memories of recording that but before we get into that i was reading that you met david bowie in the studio in that period as well didn't you yeah with the album yeah
1: we'd had a hit with tears not enough we met trevor horn at the bottom of bayswater in a pizza parlor and we started working with him in a tiny studio on brick lane called psalm east yeah and we set about recording poison arrow but we got kicked out of there for a little while because somebody else was coming in i think trevor's Manager and wife, Jill Sinclair, her brother was producing um, Foreigner or someone like that. He was a record producer too. So Trevor said, okay, next Tuesday, Wednesday, we'll go to Good Earth Studios back then, which is on Dean Street in Soho, and it's Tony Visconti's studio. So we kind of – people tend to think recording an album, the lexicon I love is kind of regarded as a classic now all these years on. For us, it was kind of just sewing it together and, you know, it's like a little – our record we didn't regard it as a classic at the time so it was made on the run so we went to soho we had two days working there anyway long story short bowie came down to the studio because he was he was working as um he was acting in Baal. it was a kind of uh Bertolt brecht play i think yeah so he came down to hang out with turner visconti his mate so i remember mark white went into the the loo And he said it was a urinal. And then he said, nobody told us that Bowie was coming down or anything. We were just there in this single studio work in this basement working. And he goes, he says, kind of the next urinal down. And he says to Mark, oh, yeah, you're pissing with the big dogs now. He said, oh, oh, blimey, (laughs) it's David Bowie. So Bowie's career has been, it's probably the highlight of Bowie's career. That, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I have to say for that in the early 80s, I mean, you know, we love Bowie and Roxy, yeah. His, his influence was massive. It's hard to describe how how mega we, an artist he was, you know. So I suppose he was down there. He came down, and um, I had to go off to the record mirror and do an interview, but Anne Dudley said he, he was sitting in and he was just saying, oh, this is maybe you should." he was making suggestions on the tracks, like kind of look of love. It would be great if you had the, the singer add loads of answering machine messages to this girl that's not going to answer him back or something like that. And then they were doing the strings for Look I Love Part Five. Diddle, 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 diddle. There were all these kind of dialogue parts and he was kind of he was chipping in a bit. Yeah. So I'm thinking, I mean, I'm still talking about that 40 years later. So that's that was a fan. But I'm thinking as well, he was coming down, he was he was nicking our ideas, wasn't he, to do for Let's Dance. <laughs> his most yeah, his biggest selling album was round the corner, isn't it? But no, <laughs> but it realistically yeah it was just a just a buzz you know we were just kind of on the dole in sheffield making our first album just for him to be just to be in his kind of lunar orbit is something special but i i say to people now he was sprinkling his magic dust on us you know he was making sure that record turned out good so anyway that's uh, that's one way of looking at it
2: Your arrangements And gravity won't pull you through You know you're missing out on something Well, that something depends on you All I'm saying It takes you a lot to love you All I'm doing You know it's true All I'm now There's one thing, yes, one thing That turns this this place got too That's the look, that's the look The look of love That's the look, that's the look The look of love That's the look, that's the look The look of love The The girl who's let you out of that pigment. Your dream your The part of the reason for Living, you're reason for then don't ask me, what it means I don't know the answer to that question If I knew I would tell you Look for your information For the one thing, the one thing we give That's the love, that's the love Don't look out love.
0: Speaking to Trevor Horn about the recording of uh, Poison Arrow and he, he talked about the painstaking process it was to uh, programme the original rhythm track that underpins that. I don't think yeah. people really well, know.
1: Everything you can do now on, I wouldn't even say on a laptop, everything you can do on a phone almost, sequencing samples basically, audio samples, digital samples, you couldn't do then, So we'd spend hours, days cutting tape up to kind of extend tracks, obviously. And the whole process was totally different. So it was the kind of the kind of cutting edge. Yeah, we were trying to be as experimental as possible. We knew, you know, we were looking over our shoulder thinking we got to do something that Duran Duran or Spandau Ballet won't do on their record. You know, we, we, we want to be ahead of the, the human league on this. And also we said to Trevor, we want it to be as good as Earth, Wind & Fire or Chic, all these brilliant disco records. Because, you know, as much as we loved, well, I still love Joy Division and The Cure and all those experimental English bands. If you listen to those records, the pocket's not there, not to get into it, but the pocket, the kind of yeah. beat, the rhythm. I mean, we went to we went to Alex Sadkin and said, oh, we want to sound like Grace Jones, pull up to the bumper. But when I think about it, that was Sly and Robbie. That was probably one of the world's greatest bass and drum partnerships, you know. When you're naive and stupid, it kind of protects you from a lot, in a way, when you're first trying to make a record. So with Trevor... I mean we love craft work and um, but but I have to say then you had to kind of create your own template. Now you can just use a click. Well, it's way beyond a click track, it's just a graph, you know, you can quantize everything. So but the great thing was Dave Palmer was a very good drummer, but he was also a really good programmer. So we I think we for some of the rhythm tracks we used Trevor's Fairlight, I think, which had it at some code. Right. So we put a kick and a snare and then work, work through. But that was pa- and it would be painstakingly. I mean, some of the programming. Did you, you program things? Some of the drum programming was step programming, where you put in, <laughs> you put in two bars, and then another two bars. It's like, but we wanted the record to sound, and it, it does in a way. It's, it's from forty years ago, but it's, it wanted to sound crisp and in time and very polished, and that comes from that programming. Yeah. So we were never like a band. We didn't. We'd made some demos as a band. But the days of that band just sitting there like the Stones doing 50 takes, that was over. The 70s was over. We were ready for the next way of recording. And, and I have to say, we were kind of ahead of the game because, like, that's the way people did make records throughout the 80s and into the 90s. I don't know, I don't know. I can get boring on the subject. No. The other great thing with Trevor, though, was that he's got a great sense of humor. So even though we were meticulous, stuff was getting done on that record. Every 20 minutes, you know what I mean? The the flow was there. It's never, it's not like we had six months to make that record. It was like, like I say, we were in Good Earth One for two days, and then we were down in Rack Studios, and then back in South East. It was kind of bus rides to different studios to kind of get the record finished. Yeah.
0: Then lyrically, songs like All of My Heart and and The Look of Love, if you take them at face value, you could see them as wholly positive. But there's a there's a little bit of, I don't know if it's darkness or melancholy or a different side to those. They're a bit more sophisticated, really.
1: Well, at the time nobody was writing love songs, although I know Love will tear us apart is a great example. It was a beautiful song by Joy Division, Ian Curtis, that kind of evoked the best of Frank Sinatra, but was very modern. And then I can't remember, we were kind of doing a similar thing with The Look of Love, Poison Arrows about universal themes. A lot of people write writing songs about unemotional, sort of fake sci-fi version of the future back then in the early 80s. And we wanted to do stuff that was emotional, you know, like a lot of the R&B stuff we listened to, but had a twist. Poison Arrows, a song about how pathologically <laughs> nasty it can get when somebody doesn't want, you know, like you, you know, doesn't love you. Or uh, the look of love is about that. I wanted it to be about about the sort of how giddy and the elation of being in love is, and how it's not like Moon in June or it's not like the songs say or the Hollywood movies. It's kind of disorientating. It's completely <laughs> uh, confusing, and there's an element of that in Look of Love. But I'd say lyric, lyrically, those songs came from. Um, very sincere sort of approach but also a very kind of art orientated approach yeah something like all of my heart it's not really a it started off as a country and western type vibe but it's not it's a kind of i don't know really but fortunately for us so many people have had broken hearts so to this day people still go to those songs sort of thing and enjoy them yeah it's hard analyzing a song
2: Wish upon a star if that mine
0: You mentioned earlier about sort R&B and, and that came into one of your big hits later in the 80s when Smokey sings. So one of your influences was more of the soulful side as well, was it?
1: Yeah, totally. Going to kind of youth club discos and listening to, on the one hand, Jeff Beck, You're Everywhere and Nowhere, Baby. And then they played Sly and the Family Stone, Family Affair. Where I grew up, listening to Bowie and Roxy, but also all the sort of Philly all-stars, Philadelphia music, Tamla Motown, Stax, Chess. Northern Soul, I suppose, those records were kind of played wherever you went, so, in the 70s. So, yeah, that's sort of ingrained, I suppose. Yeah. You call it R&B, I suppose, now. I don't know what you call it, but, yeah, it was definitely, wanted to make, we weren't really, never saw ourselves as a rock and roll band. We wanted to be like, wanted to be, make people dance. Yeah. I mean, now, everybody does that. You know, it's kind of, why would you not? But back then, yeah, it was a, the approach we took. I'm talking for over 40 years ago.
0: One of my favourite songs of yours is, is actually from the mid-'90s, uh, Stranger Things, which is from your Skyscraping album. Oh, yeah. And that was co-written yeah. with Glenn Gregory. Yeah, Pete Glown. Did you have a lot of contact with him and the other Sheffield bands at the time, or was it...?
1: Yeah. Originally, back in the early 80s, yeah, you'd walk down the street and you'd run into Philo Key or Martin Ware, Adrian Wright, from the Human League, Ian Craig Marsh. In fact, Ian Craig Marsh, who was in the Human League originally, he had a detective agency on West Street. Uh, and I used to asking him, What do you do? He says, I'm, I'm, I've decided I'm going to be a detective, a gumshoe. So I don't know how much detective work he did. He was also building synthesizers. I was good friends with Addy from Clock PVA and Richard Kirk from Cabaret Walter. And yeah, it was, it was kind of like, I don't know, really. It was brilliant academic. I don't know how you describe it, an academy for music. You just wander into any pub and there'll be somebody there telling you they're going to be the future of rock and roll. It was great. i go and see Def Leppard play on a Wednesday night at the Watkins Act or something. You know, it's kind of, you could, there's music everywhere you looked. But of course, as soon as you get a record deal and you get near the charts, people stop talking to you the same way. It gets very competitive. In the 90s, me and Glenn, we'd hang out, we'd go to bars. We'd, we'd spend a lot of time in bars. And we were both at a point in time when heaven 17 it had kind of gone a bit quiet with abc it kind of faded out so we used to just mountain bike around together friends and that, from that friendship we we made a record yeah because i didn't really want to make a record at that time i just didn't want to do it and the guys at deconstruction said why don't you make a record so it was a case of um hanging with your mates yeah and making a record it was a good good experience keith Lowndes as well was um, involved in it
0: And then on the new live set, there's also some material that was from The Lexicon of Love too. the excellent follow-up to The Lexicon of Love. And my favourite of that is The Love Inside the Love, which was, I think, written with Anne Dudley. Yeah. Do you remember the writing process yeah. for that? It's just a wonderful, um, wonderful track.
1: Anne Dudley played on The Lexicon of Love, and she's just an incredible musician. You go to Anne's house and there's like a hidden away near the loo there's like uh, an oscar for her work with the full monty and stuff or she's she's done she doesn't even tell me about the sessions she's been on she's kind of and then she's also a brilliant arranger but conductor there aren't that you know a female conductor in a world of men she's been conducting orchestras now all her life and the film work but so i kind of hooked up with Anne again we were we worked we, we met on the sessions of the lexicon 11 you know run into them through the years and I wanted to do after playing the Albert Hall. I wanted to do like a very orchestral record, and it, it morphed into what what became known as the Lexicon Love Two. So I'm sat in a kitchen saying, "Yeah, it'd be great to write some songs together." So Anne, she's got a very the great thing about her is she's got a very matter of fact way about, of going about things. She just kind of gets on with stuff. So she opened a door in her place and in Sarah where she lives, and there was like a recording studio there. I didn't had a piano, so oh. And then we, she sat at the piano, and I started up, and uh, that's where the love inside the love came from, like a sort of that song. Yeah, it's kind of um, a bit Tim Burton, a bit gothic that song. Yeah, so yeah, it was a productive um, hour visit, you know, to a place. You know, it was just like, yeah, there you go, there's a song. So it felt right to put it on that album.
2: More than mad infatuation Much more than mutual attraction I guess it's all own creation On a road to satisfaction Life keeps revealing A deeper, deeper meaning Between you and me the really years we get to see the love inside the love inside the love inside the love inside the love the love inside the love inside the love inside the love inside the love, inside, the love. this world was once a kind of bliss. We'd welcome love in time and space We walked as gods in a state of grace A smile on my face Life keeps revealing A deeper, deeper feeling Between you and me Through the years we get to see The love can inside the love inside The love inside the love inside the love The love inside the love inside The love inside the love inside the love.
1: the river take a right then a left then a right to all those things you still refuse
2: to think i cross the railway tracks by you for the soul of the cul-de-sacs but there you'll find your goal buried beneath the plastic bags in a box inside a box the love inside, 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 the love inside,
0: You've meshed the whole of the Lexicon of Love and then you've weaved in some of your other big hits as well as Lexicon of Love 2 with the new York.
1: Yeah, in a stage show we've been playing. I mean, originally on the Lexicon of Love, there was kind of pizzicatos, Cartos, the strings on all of my heart, but there's not as much orchestral stuff as people think there is. We use Selena string machines and samples and stuff. So all these years on to do it on steroids, you know, with the full orchestra. We've been developing that show now for at least 10 years. So that's what the live album on the anniversary of the release of the Lexington Love, that's what that documents. So in a way, it's the ABC songbook. You know, it's a chance to play songs. It'd be nice to have done Stranger Things too with the full Orchestra. Yeah. So yeah, of course, you know, the Lex Love's there in its entirety, but it was nice to kind of throw in some other stuff too and see what it sounded like with the orchestra. Yeah, with the band in 2023. Yeah. Well, technically 2023 <laughs> June 14th. I can't
0: remember, it, yeah but we're hearing it that other than the, the people that saw it live yeah. now in 23. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Well, thank you very much for speaking with me. It's a yeah, thanks, pleasure Jason. listening to the album and, and talking about some of the, that wonderful material.
1: Yeah, nice one. In regards to Trevor when you uh, next speak to him.
0: Yeah, cool. Brilliant. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye.